We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Rich in grace. There's always this delay, isn't there? I'm talking up here and you say, you should talk louder, Pastor. Let's pray. Father, I pray that I might be spirit-filled as I teach. And Lord, that each one of us might be spirit-filled listeners, that we might listen to your word, that you might apply it to our heart, that we might be better equipped, that we might be more like our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you read the account of the New Jerusalem at the end of the book of Revelation and see that there are gold, gold streets that are so pure that they are translucent, that everything in the city, God, they don't need a sun, we don't need the sun because God's going to be there. He's going to be the light and he just shines through this beautiful city that's 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. We know that's a cube or a pyramid. But this beautiful city that we live within the city, it's like a planet, you live all the way through it. And every gate is one pearl. And the foundation of the city, it lists, John lists all the beautiful, precious uh, jewels and diamonds that God uses to build his city with. And I think so that we realize that material is not that big a deal to God. If we would learn to just focus on the Lord, whatever our need is, whether it's money or shelter or clothing or food, it's not a big deal for him. When he was teaching the the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you don't have to labor about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to live. Your father knows that you have need of all these things. God's desire is not that we become wealthy and material possessions because this is all going away. One day there's going to be a great explosion and the earth is going to pass away with a fervent heat. It's going to dissolve, Peter said. So seeing that this is going to happen, Peter says, what kind of men should we be? What should we put our focus on? What should we invest in? It's God's desire that we would be rich in grace. That's what blew Paul away. Now, it was 
something. And anytime we hear somebody's made a decision for Christ, that's an exciting thing. They've made a decision for Christ. But what really is a blessing is when you see them realizing God's working in their life. When you see the grace of God begin to work and shine out of their life. Now, Paul has just finished with chapter 7 in his letter. And he's excited that these people are on board. And and once again, they're affirming their love to him. But he wants them to grow, not just in the truth and in love for one another, but he wants them to grow in grace, in the grace of giving. Now, these next two chapters are going to be about a special offering that Paul is taking to send the saints that are hurting down in Jerusalem. But where he starts is with grace. He starts with grace. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. There's going to be three examples that Paul uses about grace. Now, it's good to have us that we have an illustration. When a young person's growing up and they're doing a sport, often there's a professional that is, you can, you can picture in your mind and you can go through all the basics. You say, well, the professional just like that and you can show a film. This is how it's done. Paul uses them as an example. What he's talking about is God's work in them. He's going to get to the main example in verse 9 of Jesus. That's the main example. But we can see Jesus in one another when we see God's grace at work. That's the Lord at work in our heart. That's us becoming that clear reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is grace? Grace is supernatural living in our life. When we choose the supernatural. You see, the Lord Jesus, when he saved you, there's the grace of salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. If I was going to pick a, a book to study just on the subject of grace, it'd be Ephesians. It talks about all the, the, the fact that he's chosen you on purpose in him. He's giving you the Holy Spirit in chapter 1 as the promise of all he's going to do. In chapter 2, he says, By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But you have been chosen for good works, that you can display his grace to other people. And in verse 7, he says, So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So throughout eternity... We're going to be learning more and more about God's kindness and his grace and all these wonderful gifts that he has. That's why Paul said, don't focus on those things you can see. Focus on the eternal. What we see is passing away. God wants us focused. He wants us to be rich in grace. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power, verse 17, so that you might be strengthened in faith, that you would be rooted and grounded in love, so that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and breadth and length and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. He wants us to be rich in grace. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, he goes on to talk about giftedness. And he said, when Jesus died on the cross, he conquered sin and death. He went back to heaven. He gave gifts to men. He gave some as 
apostles and prophets. That was for the first century church. But for all the churches of all the ages, he gave pastor teachers and he gave evangelists for what? So that the church would be edified and built up so that the church would do the work of the ministry. Now, Jesus had all the spiritual gifts. We do not. Individually, at salvation, God gives you spiritual gifts. And then together, we are the body of Christ. That's why it's important that you be a part of a Bible-teaching local church. Not just for you, but so that you can minister your giftedness to someone else. Now, when you grow up in a church like that, when you mature in a church that is ministering to one another, they have fellowship. They just don't run in, hear the message, and run out. But they fellowship. They're in small groups. They're ministering, bearing one another's burdens. What happens as you mature, it says in Ephesians 4, is that we all grow up to the measure of the stature of Christ. What does that mean? If you mature in a church like that, it's going to be hard for somebody to pick out what your spiritual giftedness is. Why? Because God has used the other people to minister to you so that you grow up also. But Paul never got over the excitement of seeing God work in somebody's life. So he said, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the church of Macedonia. This is supernatural. He said, what I'm about to tell you, this is God. This isn't them being strong, them doing of their own ability. This is above and beyond. This is supernatural. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowing in the wealth of their liberality. Joy in trial, in deep affliction. How is that possible? That's God's grace. That you would have joy in trial. Does that mean the trial wasn't that big a deal? No. Just means that somewhere in the trial, you woke up to the fact, first of all, whoa, this is a trial right? heard a speaker a long time ago say, anger is just an alarm. The Bible says, be angry and sin not, right? Let not the wrath, sun go down upon your wrath. So you're angry, that's an alarm. And normally the alarm is somebody stepping on my rights. So then you can do the human thing and set up your walls and your perimeters and your weapons to make sure nobody takes advantage of you again. You know the saying, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That's the opposite of grace. How do you find joy in deep affliction? By trusting the Lord for the keeping of your soul. That when you realize, hold it, this is a trial. You say, well, that seems a little elementary. That's right, but how many of us get into trial and we're running miserable for two or three days and we're like, I don't know why that person said this, did this, or why my boss, or why my wife, or why? You know, you, you have that trial, and you're, oh, you're just going to fix this thing. And if I could just fix everybody, then I wouldn't have trials anymore, right? But God wants you to be rich in grace. So when the alarm goes off, that's when you go to the knees and you don't say, Lord, why me? But Lord, what would you have me to do here? That's what Peter said. You can trust the keeping of your soul to a God who is faithful. He knows that. He knows what's going on. He knows the way through the trial. I tell people when they're going through especially hard times, be listening. Now listen, if somebody's lost a relative, a child, a friend, don't show up with a bunch of Bible verses. Uh, you're kind of abusing the scripture then. Now, if you have been a person that's been through a trial like that, as you sit 
the best thing you can do to comfort your brother or sister is to show up and just be there. Put your armor. You don't have to be the guy with all the answers. Nobody likes to know it all anyway, especially when you're hurting. But you might say, and this is what I've seen people listen. You've been hurt like that. People are open to listen to you. You might say, well, God gave me this when we were in our trial, and this was such a blessing to me. And you just leave it there. But the most comfort that a Christian can get in times of trial is when God speaks to your soul. And that's where joy comes from. And I have been there. I remember telling my wife, we were leaving the funeral home, and I remember telling my wife, you know, this must be, this is very strange, I've never experienced it before, but this must be just a little taste of what the martyrs for Christianity felt like because we're in a deep trial, and we know we're hurting, but there's this sense of hope and joy at the same time. What is that? It's grace. It's grace. So when you're in a trial, these people were in deep affliction. But they learned to listen to the Lord. That's why Psalm 119. See, there's going to be a lot of trial in our life. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly up. And so if we would learn to hide God's word in our heart, Psalm 119, 9 through 11, how can a man, how can a young man make his path straight? By listening to the word of God. Then he said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. See, when you take God's word and you put it into your life, then when a trial comes, a decision comes, you say, hold it. The Bible says something about this somewhere, right? If you've memorized it, you know immediately what your decision is. Now, you can quench the Holy Spirit and say, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to do that. Or you can take a deep breath and say, okay, Lord, I don't even know what the words are, but I am willing I'm willing to forgive. You know how you can do that? When you don't have any skin in the game, when you don't have a dog in the fight, because your life is not your own. Your children are not your own. Your spouse is not your own. That money in the bank, that's not your own. You are simply a steward. How are you going to steward that? How many believers, God blesses them with material possessions, and then they forsake the Lord to protect the possessions that God gave them? You think, well, that's kind of silly. It's like the 10 lepers that got healed, only one came back to worship. Hmm. You don't have any dog in the fight because God's the one that promotes. Promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west, from the north. God puts one up, puts another one down. That's why Jonathan Edwards said the sovereignty of God is the safest doctrine for the believer. That God knows what's going on. He is the all-powerful God. He's the all-knowing God. And he cares about your situation in your trial. What a comfort. See, he leads you in the paths of righteousness as, as your shepherd. Psalm 23. For his name's sake. He makes you to lie down. He gives you the opportunity for rest. Even if I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I don't have to be afraid. Because the shepherd is with me. His rod and his staff comforts me. But you only get to experience the comfort in the trial if you're willing to listen and follow him. You quench him and say, nope, I got this, Lord. Let me handle this. These people, obviously, in deep affliction, were listening to the Lord. And what was the result? Joy in spite of deep affliction. And then he said, we saw this grace in their giving. They were poverty-stricken, 
And they gave more than they were able to. In fact, Paul being a good shepherd, I'm sure he didn't even want to tell them. He didn't want to, it was probably something like this. Listen, guys, I want you to be praying. I see you're hurting. You guys, you have nothing, but we're going to be taking an offering for the folks in Israel. So would you just pray that God would meet their needs? I'm sure it was like that. Do you even plan on taking an offering? And yet they said, what? Offering? For those people down in Jerusalem? Oh, well, we'd like to be a part of that. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Beyond, how can you give beyond your ability? That's grace. That's grace. I know the people that have that gift of giving often gives them, God also gives them sometimes this unexplainable gift of people give them things and they make money that's just unexplainable. Why? Because they're just a channel of grace. They just keep giving it away. They just give, give, give. When Doug Wookie used to work for the city on the garbage truck, he'd tell us, now listen, you guys need anything? Just let me know. I'll be praying for it because I'll find it in the garbage. I'm like, what? Who found new TVs, new computers in the garbage? And he would just give, give, give like that. Why? Is this a gift? How do they give beyond their ability? Well, I love to share the story of our brother Ray Weaver that went to be with the Lord this last year. Ray was on a fixed income. He came to us. His wife was already had cancer, and within a year, Sherry died of cancer. And so he had all these bills piled up, plus he was on a fixed income. And we were getting ready to put the uh, steeple up. It had been laying over here, and it was a lot, great encouragement for a lot of people. John Bragg, when he first visited the church, said, you know, that's our church, because I know God's done, done with me yet. He's not done with that church, so that might be a good place for us to go. But we kind of figured out what it was going to cost. I said, let's, let's take an offering. And Ray came, came to, I don't think he came to me, I think he talked to Rich, who was the treasurer at the time. And he said, Rich, I just really want to be a part of this. I don't have much money, so here's what I can give. He was the first one to give. And within a two weeks, we had this amazing offering that came in. And it paid for that. We got our steeple up. It was just amazing. So Ray came back and he said, well, you know, I'm so glad to be a part. I guess my offering wasn't much. And I said, stop, Ray. You did what God told you to do. Do you remember the widow woman that had two mites? And Jesus waited to show his disciples her giving. And she waited probably so nobody else, because, you know, the Pharisees would blow the horn. Oh, Dr. Big Britches is going to give a check, man. It's going to be big. And so she waited in the shadows and she came in. And she put her two mites in, and the Lord knew her heart. He pointed out to his disciples, and he said, she gave more than everybody because she gave all that she had. That's all Ray had to give. God blessed it, and it got huge. And it was not too long after that, Ray started getting excited about what God wanted to do. And he said, uh, Pastor, they had, so one of our college girls, can't remember who it was, um, had one of these uh, these deals where you... You can give money to a specific child in a third world country and help with food and help with their education. And Ray said, Pastor, I do not have the money, but I really want to give. And I don't know if it was 40 or $50 a month. So I said, well, Ray, you know, obviously you got to do what the Lord tells you to do. You pray, just do what God tells you to do. I'm going to do it. It was a short time after that. His grandson wrote him a letter, Zane Beatles. He's a professional football player, played at Utah, that he went to the... Um, 
Broncos and then down to Florida. I think he's, he's out in San Francisco now. And he got a bonus that he even know was coming his way because the Broncos happened to do well that year. And he wrote his grandpa, Grandpa, I love you. Here's a check. I don't want to pay all grandma's medical bills. And, and here's a check so you can just pay all that off. Ray was able to give more than he even knew he could because he was faithful. Did he ask his grandson? No. Somebody did. You know what it was? The Holy Spirit. See, everybody, everything on the earth, the Bible says in Psalm 24, everything belongs to God. And he can turn even the heart of a king just like this. So money is never the challenge when it comes to ministry. It's never the challenge. It's the heart. And you you can go to a church. They're going to put a lot of pressure on you on giving. You're not going to give any pressure about giving from us as people. You might get a lot of pressure from God, but not from people. Because we want to see what God's doing, not what we can do. And I know there are ministries out there that when we're, we're looking at the possibility of building a building, we want to be able to show you that at what we're praying about at our annual meeting. But you are never going to get, you people need to give. Why? Because it's not your church. It's our church, but ultimately it's Jesus' church, right? So if it's Jesus' ministry and he thinks we need room for more people, he's the one building a church, he's going to have to provide a bigger building. But you know what's so cool about that? That we get to see him do it. Now, when you get to see the number, we'll talk more about that. But uh, Clayton asked me the other day, so if we're already filled up with responsibility, now how are we going to do that? I said, we are not going to do that. In fact, this is less of a challenge than when we built this building. Because we had basically nothing but college kids when this went up. And the Lord provided. He's provided richly. But when it's all said and done, you know what happens? Our worship increases because we know we do not have the strength to do this on our own. God did it. And when God does it, what confidence does that bring when God leads you to a place and he provides that God is the one doing it? Verse 4, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Do you look at all the offerings we take during the year? We have regular offerings we take for tithes, right, and offerings. But then we have those special offerings for missionaries, for a building project, for the IBM, for uh, IBM, for the International Mission Board, IMB, for uh, Angel Tree every year, for Samaritan's Purse every year. Do you look at those as eternal investment opportunities? Years ago, we, I think the Lord convicted me about it, and I don't know if there's not many people in the church in those days, but I just felt like we get all these missionaries come from every place else, and you know, the church at that time thought 50 bucks a month was a lot. You know, ooh, we give them 50 bucks a month. I said, well, that's not hardly gas to get them back here to report when they come back in three or four years on furlough. I said, you know what? I think Jeff Brown was a part of this too. So we, let's just stop with all this because we don't know those people. We don't know what they're doing. There's no accountability. It seems anti-missional, but we're going to stop with that. We're going to want to see our own raised up. And the first one were the graves. And I remember I was, I was come down, I don't know what I was at Centennial for, but I remember getting a call from Georgia. She was just lining up some meetings. I said, Pastor, we'd just like to come and share what David and I are, the Lord's calling us to do in Mongolia. I said, yeah, that'd be great. Our first one, our guys. And they came and shared a story. And I can tell you, the elders at the time said, we want a piece of that. Yeah, God's doing so. We want a piece of that. Do you look at investment that way? See, Jesus said, don't lay up treasure on earth. 
where moth and rust have corrupted and your investment can just go to zero. It's not wrong to save, but your best investment is in heaven. Do you look at it like that? When somebody gets a burden from our church to go plant a church, say, let me pray about that. I want a piece of that action. I want to get a piece. That is a part that will pay out for all eternity. That's God's promise. They said, we want a part of that. We want to do, those people are responsible for us knowing the Lord now. We want, we want them to know we didn't have much, but we want to be known as a church that gave. And Paul said, the grace of God in their lives is mind-blowing. That God would do with these hurting, poor people to give the way they did. He was blown away. So he says, and this, not as we expected, but first gave themselves to the Lord and us by the will of God. That's how it works. God has to own you first. That's when you recognize that everything you have, everything you are, everything you possess is God. You're just a steward. You're just a steward. But we get in those pressures and business starts going bad and you start thinking, I could lose everything we've got. No, you can't. Because your riches are in heaven. They can never be touched. You're just on the adventure. It gives you such freedom, especially when your teenagers start driving. Lord, they're taking your car out into traffic, right? They wrecked the car. God, did you see what that teenager did to your car? Right? It's God's. It makes things a lot easier. It's the Lord's. So when all of a sudden things look bleak, say, hold it. The question is, money's never the problem. It's our heart. That's why our focus with as elders is never going to be, we need to get the people to give more or hiring one of those ministries that, ministries that can come in and kind of work the flock to get more money, you know, and then they get a cut of what they raise. That's not grace giving. Grace giving is what we want to practice here, and that's say, okay, here's the project. You pray about it, and you do what God tells you to do. Well, what if there's not enough money? Then I guess God wasn't in it, or he's going to do it some way different. We don't have to be panicked about that. Say, but what if there's no money to pay the bills? The ministry goes, God opens doors and he shuts doors. And he gives instruction and revelation that if I open a door, you better be running through it. Because if I close it, you're not going to open it again. What a blessing that our king, the sovereign God, wants our attention on him and says, don't worry about the money. Don't worry about the money where it's coming from. Now, later in the chapter, you're going to say, make sure you're good stewards and you're accountable and you deal, it, deal with money with integrity because that's God, that's people trusting the Lord. But here he says, first, they gave themselves, they were available to the Lord. They recognized that God was everything to them and everything they had was the Lord's. And then they gave themselves, it was easy because they belong to the Lord. They recognize that. That's a tough thing to stay, where Jesus stays on the throne of your life, but that's what the key is to the Christian life. Lord, you know what's going on here. What do you want me to do? I just want to follow you. He goes on. He said, so we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. This gracious work. Two verses in a row, he's going to say, this gracious work. Oh, it's a gracious work because naturally in our flesh, 
We take real pride in what we earn and how we earned it, and we get all we can, and we can all we get, and we sit on the lid. This is mine. And the Lord takes joy in prying our fingers off the little can that we think is such our wealth and going, this is nothing. And then it's gone. There's old song we sang in youth group growing up. One by one he took them from me, all the things I valued most. Until I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And I walked earth's highway grieving in my rags and poverty. Till I heard a voice inviting, lift your empty hands to me. So I held my hands towards heaven, and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches till they could contain no more. Then at last I comprehended in my stupid mind and dull that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. You're hanging on to that stuff, and God says, would you just throw that piece of rock down? I want to give you some treasure. I want to make you rich in grace. So he said, I wanted Timothy to complete this gracious work also. I want you to grow here also. Verse 7, but just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all earnestness, they were growing in these areas of grace, being able to teach. They They were growing in their seriousness. They were growing in their knowledge. They were growing in their faith and in the love we inspired in you. See, that's how grace works. That's why we need to be part of a church. I started there earlier that we need to be encouraged by what we see in other people's giftedness. And we see somebody that just forgives an awful, terrible offense, and we go, I wouldn't, well, that guy, he should have given him a left, and just, he just forgave him. What is that? See, that's like Jesus. I found as I've grown older, and I'm not old, by the way, so I've grown older. I used to think people over 60 were old, but I don't anymore. It's strange how that works, isn't it? That there's less hills to die on. There really is. The goal is to be more like Jesus Christ. Be more like him. Let him finish this gracious, gracious work in us. Lord, have your way in my life. But what a blessing it is when we meet a Christian that is such an amazing giver or such an amazing, they just have a gift of scripture. I mean, I wish that I just knew the questions that Doug Bookman asks every text of scripture, right? Because he comes up with this stuff and you go, oh man, that was in there? Wow. That's his spiritual giftedness. And so we desire to know the whole story. Why? Because Doug Bookman has ministered that to us and we want to be more like Jesus in that way that he was. That's his gift. I love watching Ray Comfort videos. You you know who Ray Comfort is? The, The evangelist, kind of a street evangelist. And he has these questions that he asks people. They're so simple. And you go, oh, that's so simple. Why couldn't I think of that? Not my gift. But I want to be like that when I talk to people. I want to be able to open the conversation and be so simple and so gracious the way he is. I want to be like that. What is that? That's Ray Comfort inspiring that desire. It's Bookman inspiring that desire in me. I want to be more like Jesus like he is in that area of his life. That's how it works. Paul says, I pray that whether it's Titus or the churches of Macedonia or me, that you might be inspired to be more like Christ in grace in all areas of your life. 
And then he comes to verse 9. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what grace he had. As they nailed our Savior to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I believe the centurion in charge of the crucifixion recognized when Jesus died that he was the Lord and he trusted him as Savior. Because he died, the walks were rent. There was an earthquake and he said, surely this was the Son of God. When they came to Jesus and they're trying to trap him, they bring John 8, they throw the woman taken into adultery and they're trying to put him in a trap. He says, the law says she should be stoned. And so he says, well, you that have no sin, cast the first stone. He begins to draw in the dirt. He just stoops down. He's just simple answer. And tradition says that he was just kind of laying out the, the Ten Commandments. And they left from the oldest to the youngest till they were all gone. And he says, where's your accusers? And she said, there are none, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. They try to trap him about the government again because it's illegal to stone somebody. They're, they're, they're servants of Rome. And you should be paying your taxes. So they say, should we pay the, 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 uh, the tax or not? Should you be loyal to God or loyal to Caesar? He said, well, give me a coin. They give him a coin. Whose face is on the coin? Caesar's. So give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. I was reading my son Sam's blog the other day. He's under the church plant down in St. George. You can go and see Red Mesa Fellowship. He has just short little blogs. And I was just rejoicing in it. And I texted him. I said, Sam, it's such a blessing to me because... His, his little thoughts, his thoughts are so simple and they're so pointed. Makes you think, I want to be more like that. He said, well, dad, he tries to throw the credit back. He said, no, stop, Sam, stop. I said, I'm just praising God for the grace in your life. That's God's gift to you. Just like Ray Comfort, Doug Bookman, these different men that inspire us to be like that. That's God's grace in their life. But most important, it was Jesus. He was rich. Philippians says he was God. He is the creator. He spoke the worlds into existence. He was the king. But he did not think his godness something he had to grasp onto and hold onto. But he submitted himself. He humbled himself even unto the death of the cross. For this reason, God hath highly exalted him so that he has a name above every name that at the name of Jesus one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He started that phrase by saying, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. You don't have to look out for yourself. Pride can leave because it doesn't matter. Nobody can stop you in in what God wants to do with your life. See, what God wants for our life is for him to say to us, well done. Well, if so-and-so doesn't support this or doesn't give this or this happens in the business, we all these things, we make all these enemies like they can stop it. My ornery boss is just wants to, it's like, your boss is nothing like that to God. The question is, what is God trying to teach you if you have to submit to a guy like that? Because the Bible says you do. What's God trying to teach you? He's trying to give you part of that grace of joy that you would have never known about before. He wants you to become that reflection even to that boss so that he might know Jesus also. 
And Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, when things are like that, when you're under pressure, you're under affliction, you're under the load, then be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you the hope that lies within. Because what they see in spite of all the difficulties, in spite of the tragedies, in spite of the trial, what they see is what? Grace. Oh, man. If we could just be like Jesus there. He became poor that we might be rich. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Well, Lord, give us an appetite as your children to grow in grace. That we might easily forgive. That we might easily love. That we might easily give. Because we desire to be like you, Lord. And Lord, if there's some here that do not know you, that do not have the protection of a shepherd in their life, they don't know you as Savior. They don't know about grace. They don't know about joy and trial. Lord, I pray that you draw them to yourself. Give them the desire to seek after you. And Lord, we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.